Hey, welcome to the Rooted to Live podcast. The hope is that this podcast would encourage you to know God's great love for you and to equip you and build you up in creating authentic relationships. I grew up uh, in the 80s, and one of my favorite memories of that time was when my grandparents would visit me from Florida. They'd come and stay with their family, and uh, one of my favorite memories concerning my grandfather, Grandpa Toby, was that sometimes he'd take me to lunch. Now, lunch wasn't like McDonald's or something like that. Lunch with him meant going to the library for a long time so he could read the newspaper, but then would finish with ice cream. Now, the place we'd go to for ice cream was a special place in Jackson, Michigan that still exists today, the Jackson All-Star Dairy. It's had different names over the course of decades, the parlor, uh, other names. And they had amazing ice cream, huge scoops of ice cream, and all these flavors. Uh, my favorite as a kid was bubblegum. Of course, I've come to my senses, and as I shared with you the last podcast, there are several other flavors that are of great renown. Anyway, at this place, uh, there was this one Sunday they had called the Dare to be Great, and it was 21 scoops of ice cream topped with strawberries, uh, chocolate sauce, uh, pineapple topping, and someday maybe we need to have a podcast about that. Pineapple topping is an abomination. Anyway, marshmallow topping, chopped nuts, whipped cream, cherries, whatever. It was massive, and a lot of times like church groups or youth groups, parties, whatever, would get a dare to be great and share it together. But they also had this challenge that if you could eat the Sunday in one 60-minute setting, then it's free, and your name goes up on the wall of fame. But you have to, it would say on the on the menu, but beware, if you fall short, the Sunday will cost you $19.99, which is like $1,000 in today's money, kids. Anyway, I saw lots of people try this, and they would take tubs of ice cream home because they couldn't complete it. It would just be soup by that time, and I'm still cool with that. But I've always wondered, why do people attempt things like the Dare to be Great Challenge or other title-bestowing endeavors? You see this today on Food Challenges or the Food Network. Uh, Lots of different kinds of attempts for greatness. And I think there's an underlying principle here, and that's that we desire to live greatly because we were created to do so. How can you be sure that your life is great, though? How can you know or have confidence that you're living a life that's well-spent or well-invested? Jesus gives us the answers to these questions in Mark chapter 9, where we read about true greatness. In Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35, we read, And they came to Capernaum, and the word they there means Jesus and his disciples. And when he, that's Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way here? But they kept silent, for on their way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now what is interesting to me is the preceding context. In verses 30 through 32, Jesus had been sharing with his disciples that he was going to be delivered into the hands of men and that they'll kill him. And that when he is killed and when he's dead, after three days he will rise. So now they've entered the city. The disciples had been having an argument on their journey. But after Jesus had told them that he is heading to his really substitutionary death. And when he enters the home in which they are staying, he asks, 
hey guys, um, what was it that you were talking about on the way here? What was the argument all about? So you would assume that they would be talking about their leader, their teacher, their Lord Jesus Christ. That they would be talking about his announcement about his upcoming betrayal, the death, the resurrection. But no, they were arguing about who was the greatest among them. And so the easy thing to do here, though, when you read the text is to criticize them. But by condemning them, wouldn't we be condemning ourselves as well? Because our own greatest uh, approval, our desire for approval, our recognition, adoration is often in our hearts and minds as well. And rather than living approved or rather than living recognized or adored or loved by God, we go out pining for more of it for our own namesake, for our fame, our glory. But that's not even Christ's contention here. This is what's so amazing. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't even correct them? (laughs) He recognizes in his disciples desire for greatness. And instead of rebuking them and shutting the whole discussion down and say, are you listening to me? Don't you know what's going to happen? He describes the pathway on which true greatness is found. See, the reason Jesus doesn't protest the idea of pursuing that which is great and significant is because we were created for that. In fact, you are already significant because of your humanness. In fact, God declared your life is precious and valuable. This is why we are to care about life. God's word says that you're an image bearer of him, of God. And every day you have the capacity to to make that known, to reveal him to an onlooking world, or at least your world, and to glorify him. Most people don't know that, so the problem has become that over time we have turned our God-given longing for living greatly and living significantly into being known ourselves as great or being greater than someone else. This goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we can see this. Even when the serpent is tempting or uh, seeking to deceive Eve, he says, when you eat of this, God knows that you'll be like him. Basically, like, why don't you strive for your own greatness to be as God? See, true greatness has been perverted by sin into the pleasure we get when others praise us or when we think we are greater than we've been or greater than others are. So Jesus redefines greatness for his followers with a new measuring rod, a new measuring device. He says, this is what greatness is. You'll have to be last. Now, if any of you listening have children, you know that um, most children don't ask to be second, third, or fourth. They want to be first. Or maybe you grew up saying the phrase, shotgun, I want to sit in the best seat. People shouted out at recess growing up, team captain. I had one dear friend who was always clever enough to say he was second captain, because at least he'd be a captain. Jesus says true greatness does not want to be first, while others are second, third, and fourth. But true greatness is the willingness to be last. And true greatness is not positioning yourself so that others praise you, but true greatness is putting yourself in a position to serve anyone, to be a blessing to as many as you possibly can. That's pursuing greatness in God's kingdom. Now, let's be mindful. It's not being last or serving to get love or value but being last or serving because you are loved and valued already in Jesus. Jesus radically transforms the idea of greatness. He essentially is saying, go ahead and pursue it, but the path is down, not up. Jesus says that living greatly comes from being the servant of all, 
Now, this word servant has a distinct meaning. It's not the same as a slave or a hired servant that receives a wage. This word relays the idea of living out of devotion. It, it naturally flows from the person who, um, uh, in a devotion or in a, in a devoted way, follows and imitates Jesus. In the chapter just before the one we've been looking at, in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 35, Jesus says, calling out to the crowd, to him, his disciples, he said to, the, to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus says, if anyone, that means anyone. If anyone wants to keep on following him, they have to take up their cross, which means um, life on your terms is over. And then pursue lastness, um, take on servanthood, join Jesus in his kind of life. God's kind of greatness comes after our self-exaltation has been crucified. And how much um, desire to serve has arisen. So the life that Jesus has to offer you and I is his life. The life of greatness, which is a life of being a servant. In this life, you can find true life and the life of deep-rooted contentment and peace. When you're treated like a servant, you may actually be closer to the life of Christ than you realized. Jesus defines what living significantly means. So back to Mark chapter 9. After saying that greatness comes from being last and the servant of all, listen to what he did. Verse 36 says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, why did Jesus do this? Why does Jesus illustrate his point about greatness equals serving with a child? See, in those days, children were considered basically unvalued or didn't have value. They, they, it was believed that they couldn't bring any value. When Jesus says, whoever receives one of these, when you welcome, embrace, or welcome, or serve someone that can do nothing for you, your status, your business, or when you serve someone where there's no political payback, like a child who can't vote, when you take in a non-influential person who won't give speeches about how great your helpfulness has been, Jesus then chooses the perfect person to showcase his greatness equals service point. A child often takes for granted that you'll take care of them. <laughs> They don't make a big deal about the fact that you pour out your life for them. I think about this in my own life. Uh, growing up, my parents took care, of, took care of everything. My mom really especially took care of the home. And uh, magically, somehow, my clothes were washed. And magically, um, toothpaste was where the toothpaste was supposed to go. And new toothbrushes would arrive. And, and that fact, we never ran out of toilet paper. And then I went to college. Uh, where's the toothpaste? Where's my clean laundry? And Jesus is directing his disciples to consider the kind of people men don't typically serve. A child. Like a person that doesn't say thank you all that often. Or can't say thank you. Or has no ability to return or repay your service. The people we might not think um, or we might think aren't worth our time. People who can't return the favor. Yet Jesus says when you receive one of them and serve them, you are serving a person just as valuable as any king. 
Jesus then turns the whole discussion away from the value of the child to the value of God. Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So caring for others must be done with a longing to experience more of Jesus and more of the one who sent him. That's God the Father. Why does Jesus say this? Why does he bring everything to a focus on God and the value of receiving more of God? Well, the primary reason Jesus calls us to servanthood is not just because other people need our service. It is because of what happens to us when we serve. When we serve others with God-intended motives to love God and love others, we begin experiencing at the same time the life of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory and along with it the life God intended for those that love him. And of course, who he loves. That is true greatness. Wouldn't it be safe then to assume that at this point in Mark chapter 9, that the disciples sitting with Jesus and this child as an illustration would have understood the lesson? (laughs) Consider the very next chapter, and I'll read it for you. This is Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And they were on the road again, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were also afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise." And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten others heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him again and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The lesson of greatness, friends, is a hard-learned one for those who desire to follow Jesus. It's an ongoing tug of war between our personal acclaim or Christ's fame. And it's easier to hear a word about serving others than it is to serve. But you're invited. Jesus invites you. You're invited to dare to be great. And you do this by living greatly, which is to take a step. Imitate Jesus and serve others.